At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Hi. The other day, I ventured out to meet up with one of my favorite Bostonians. So today, we are going to practice some different dumpling shapes. Okay. Irene Lee is co-founder of May May Dumplings in South Boston. But Irene does more than run a restaurant. She also holds dumpling workshops. And lucky me, I got a private one on a recent morning before May May opened its doors to customers. I was trying to remember the last time I made dumplings. I, I, it it might have been before I had children. Oh, so my gosh. It, probably okay. like 13 years. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, we're, we're getting back on the horse. So exactly. that's great. I wanted a dumpling lesson because it's Lunar New Year, which is bigger than Christmas for much of East Asia and for many Chinese Americans like Irene and me. All right. So we do use pre-made wrappers Uh-oh. because we want this to be accessible. We're, right. Our goal is to inspire everyone to make dumplings at home. All right, open these up. Great. So we have our lemongrass pork filling Ooh. and our five spice tofu filling. Oh, that's good. And we can both use oh, both of tofu. them. That's the tofu, yeah. And right. then that's the pork. We put those fillings in the wrappers and started with the basics. Yeah. So, so for our first shape, we yeah. always just teach the half circle. Right. So kind of your humble empanada, pierogi. Right. right. And I always like to tell people, this is this is already a dumpling. You right. don't have to learn anything else if you don't want to. If we're about volume production, right. we can just stop right here. Folding these dumplings brought back memories for me. My mom came from Taiwan in the 1970s. I grew up in a rural part of Maryland at a time when you couldn't find frozen dumplings at the grocery store. So my so this was the one few things I remember my mom doing wow. like, that I would do with her making dumplings. Yeah, and she would critique my. Of course, yeah. How I make my dumplings. We kind of joke with our our corporate clients that um, if they pay extra, we can bring in a judgmental Asian old mom. Chinese lady to Chinese. come critique their work. <laughs> so I remember dumplings are a really important part of Lunar New Year. They represent prosperity and good luck. What about your own family? What, what did you, what kind of traditions did you have growing up for Chinese New Year? Funny thing is, what I remember most is that my mom would always come into our school and teach some kind of cultural activity. Oh, that's great. Because, it, because no one else would teach it, right? right? So oh, we so might do great. calligraphy, we might oh, talk about dumplings, we might read a book. And the crazy thing is, like, those were, that's when I felt the most Chinese. 
Because at home, she's just mom. And then she comes to school, and I'm like, oh, my God, who's this Chinese lady teaching all this cultural stuff? But she really took it upon herself. And I think, especially as I get older, I realized that that was, you know, she took the day off from work. Right. And decided that she was going to come in and and represent. Yeah, that's a big deal. That was really cool. All right. You want to show me your pleats? Okay, let's see. Let's do it. Let's spin a while. Let's see if it's like riding a bike. Um, I can't remember. You got it. You're, yeah, like you're this, doing it. Yep. Something like that. And you do something like this. Yep. You pinch it. Yep. And then you kind of go like that. Ba-ba! You <laughs> no, did but it. It's not very pretty. No, but how do you make the little folds? Yeah. Irene you- says everyone's their worst critic when it comes to dumplings. And maybe my mom's critical voice was in my head, but I knew I could do better. So with a couple tries and Irene's patient coaching. Oh, this is not bad looking. That's not bad at all. (laughs) My gosh. Not bad. I'll take it. Eventually, my tray was filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly dumplings. Then it was time for the fun part. Yeah, let's fry up these dumplings. As the dumplings are frying, we're getting that really nice browning on the bottom. And then when we add the water, we're turning our frying pan into a steamer. So we put the lid on and the steam is what cooks the rest of the dumpling that's not touching the bottom of the pan. Steam is also the most even form of cooking. And so we know that these dumplings are gonna be cooked really evenly all the way through. Then we'll take the lid off and crisp up those bottoms again. Yeah, Shirley, I think some of your dumplings are ready to plate. All right, I'm ready. All right, what, what kind of sauces do we have here? Okay, so we have our soy maple ginger sauce, which I was telling you oh, about. I want to try that one. Kind of a savory and sweet sauce. Then we have our apple chili, which is sort of our version of like a duck sauce. So oh, okay. sweet, tart, punchy. We have our soy aioli, which is a creamy soy sauce. All right, my stomach is literally growling. <laughs> Oh, this is really good. Oh, good. And it looks like that's the tofu. It's got the crunch? Yes. Mmm. I think my mom would be very impressed by my dumplings. Symmetrical and eight pleats. The luckiest number in Chinese culture. So after stuffing ourselves, Irene and I found a quiet place to talk. All right, so what are our options? So we can go back into the office. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, the team is having lunch back there, but we will ask them to be okay. quiet. Okay. Let's move our stuff. We put on hairnets, safety first, and walk through the kitchen into a storeroom slash office. I asked Irene about her dad's parents, who themselves ran a restaurant after immigrating from China. So unfortunately, I never got to go to those restaurants. They closed before I was born. But they had one restaurant in um, Washington Heights in New York City and then another one in White Plains, New York. What year was this? This would have been um, the mid-50s and 60s. So a long time ago. (laughs) Yes, a long time ago. And we do have some amazing um, old, like, advertisements and newspaper clippings. So I think the, the restaurant gene skips a generation, as we like to say. So what made your, why did your dad's parents open up a restaurant in, in New York? I think they arrived in this country and, you know, did not have access to a ton of resources. And they knew people who were in the restaurant business and they felt like that was a way that they could support their five kids um, and, and make it happen in this country. 
And what else do you remember? I mean, you you must have heard stories from your dad about those restaurant days because your dad probably grew up in the restaurant, right? So my dad was allowed to work the takeout counter, um, but my grandmother prevented him and his siblings from working as servers because apparently, this is how the story goes, she did not want her kids growing up judging people based on the quality of their tips. My dad's generation, he and his siblings were very high achieving, immigrant kids, doctors, lawyers, physicists, um, and so they were never intended to, to stay in the restaurant industry. So um, what has it been like um, when you uh, told your parents, um, I want to go to the restaurant business, and actually not just you, but your your siblings too, your brother and sister, all of you are in the restaurant business. Um, I know for me, uh, as um, you know, I was born in the U.S. and my parents immigrated from um, Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, you know, when I look at my generation of cousins, I'm the only one who's not an engineer and um, who's who's non-tech. I, I mean, kind of the black sheep. So what was it like? What was their reaction when when you told them all, all three of you said we want to go into the restaurant business? I think it's all about expectations. And one thing is my, my brother will take credit for having gone into the restaurant industry first before we started Maymay. So he kind of wore my parents down is what I think he'd say. The other thing is, I think my parents got really excited that we wanted to do something together and that we wanted to do it in Boston. So we kind of snuck it in there. Um, you know, the Trojan horse was, oh, we want to move home to be with mom and dad and, you know, bring the family back together. And um, yeah, we're just going to start a food truck on the side and, and see what happens. But what I also like to say is, I think when my mom realized that we were serious, um, that we wanted to run a business that aligned with our values, that we wanted to bring a unique experience to our diners. She got on board um, and has been our, our number one supporter, um, our most vocal and uh, <laughs> ardent uh, critic and supporter as well. And so did she give any advice for recipes or anything like that? Yes, we get all kinds of advice from her, Shirley. <laughs> um, Too much. So, uh, we, we've, we've learned to say, you know, thank you so much for your feedback and um, management will take it under consideration. Um, but it is really important to us that, that she's proud of the business. When you look at the restaurant business that you've created, I mean, how is it different from what your grandparents did? It's totally different. I think that, of course, you know, times have changed and restaurants rely on um, all kinds of technology to make things happen. Um, you know, building communities online, through social media, through newsletters. Of course, we still rely on word of mouth. And here at Maymay, we've really prioritized quality of employment and quality jobs. And I think that that's something that my grandparents, who, who were in survival mode, um, were not necessarily able to do. And so again, when I think back to how would I make my grandma proud, I think that she would be pretty annoyed that I was running a restaurant. But if I explained to her that we're trying to change things, we are trying to create an industry that is more accessible and more equitable and more just, I, I think she would, she, would, she would let it slide. <laughs> Irene, when I think of what you've done as a restaurateur, I mean, you've, it's more than just serving good food. I mean, you actually have set out to reimagine the restaurant business, whether it's um, opening your books, right, being transparent, um, and you've really prided yourself on treating your employees. Um, how difficult is that? I mean, has that been really like, why, why have you chosen to take that path? And that's a more difficult path, right? 
Yeah, I think we can only practice our values if we can afford them. And we, my siblings and I, came to the industry in a relatively privileged position because we had support from family, from our community. We didn't open Maymay with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And that gave us the freedom to experiment um, with different innovations, different practices. And I feel that as someone who was born with a lot of privilege and came to the industry with a lot of privilege, it's really my responsibility to be pushing the envelope and to, you know, make expensive choices that hopefully help move the whole industry forward. And so that's why, you know, nobody wants to be using styrofoam. Nobody wants to be paying minimum wage. Um, but if we can't afford the things that we wish to practice, we have to find other ways. And I really am hoping that as the restaurant industry continues to move forward, we can find ways to experiment and to innovate and hopefully create more wealth and more benefit for everybody involved. Not just for owners, not just for guests, not just for workers, but can we really all win? More of my conversation with Irene Lee after this short break. Across New England, commercial businesses of all sizes rely on Eastern Bank. We help clients grow by being able to answer their larger loan needs and by offering innovative solutions, smart decision-making, and one-on-one relationships. From franchise financing to community development and asset-based lending, our knowledgeable and experienced commercial team deeply understands your business and the communities you serve. See how we can help you meet your business goals at easternbank.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. Last year, you interviewed Boston celebrity chef Ming Tsai at an event at WBUR. Um, He made a stupid joke about roofies. A couple weeks later, you called him out on social media. I mean, I saw it as part of a continuation um, of your effort to change the restaurant culture. And I mean, do you think, do you think, I mean, do you think you got a lot of people talking about how the restaurant culture should change? I mean, I definitely got people talking. Um, And I know some people, what they had to say was like, can you believe Irene did that to Ming Tsai? And that's fine. You know, I I want to start a conversation. Um, I don't need to facilitate the whole thing. I don't need to be the loudest voice. But I think there are a lot of doors that we haven't opened to talking about restaurants and to talking about what it's like to work in a restaurant. And so... All of it is about starting the conversation and opening it up for other people who have even more important stories to share and different perspectives to bring to the table. And so I've also, you know, talked about restaurant finances. I've talked about cultural appropriation of Asian cultures. All of that is just, you know, is anyone going to say it or should I? Mm -hmm. Um, And and eventually it, it comes down to me deciding, Okay, I guess I'll go first and we'll see what happens. So last year, you, I I know I'm generalizing here, but you wrote the most Asian cookbook ever (laughs) uh, with your sister. Uh, It's about zero waste cooking. So tell us more about that book. Yeah. So 
The book's called Perfectly Good Food, a zero waste approach to home cooking. And it's all about using up the food you have, saving money, saving time, having more fun. All Asian. Yes. <laughs> very, very Asian. And um, it, it came out at, I think, this very interesting moment where, of course, we're all talking about sustainability. Um, we're seeing the price of groceries go up. And because of the pandemic, a lot of people are cooking at home in a way they never have before. I mean, fried rice. No one intends to make fried rice, right? It's just leftover white rice in your fridge. You put in some leftover meat and veggies and voila, right? And so th that's what I, when I saw the book, it's like, that's what it's about. <laughs> Definitely. And we do have a really great fried rice recipe in the book. But yeah, the book is really designed not as the kind of book you would page through, pick a recipe, write your grocery list, and then go to the store and then take it home and make it. It's it's more of a field guide in a lot of ways. So maybe you're looking through your fridge and your pantry and you're saying, oh man, I have those tomatoes I have to use up. And okay, yeah, I have some beans. And then you can go to our field guide and start thinking about, all right, how do I piece this together into a meal? And that's always been my sister's superpower, that she can go into anyone's house. And even if they say, oh yeah, there's nothing to eat here, she can go through the pantry and the fridge and have you know multiple beautiful dishes on the table within an hour. And so we wanted to bring that enthusiasm and that willingness to experiment um, to a, a broader audience. And so much of cooking is about intuition um, and about trying things out and making mistakes. And if the recipe's no good, you eat the evidence and you move on. And so much of zero waste is just what they used to call cooking. Mm -hmm. Like right. our grandmothers were not talking about zero waste. They just didn't have a lot of ingredients, and so they used everything. So we know we're not inventing anything new, but we think that for a modern audience, there are other ways of thinking about how you get those ingredients onto the table. And it was such a fun book to write. It's also illustrated. So you're not comparing your final dish to the picture in the book. And our illustrator, Iris Gottlieb, has an incredible sense of humor and is also an, an author herself. And we loved touring with the book because every city we went to, people raised their hands and said, can I share my favorite food waste tip? Oh, wow. And we just loved that because, you know, of course, there's there's a culture around like secret recipes yeah. and like, what's my secret technique, my secret ingredient. But the zero waste community, we are all about sharing info. And people always remember what they learned from whom. Yeah. So like... Um, so yeah, what was your favorite tip from, oh the, from the book tour? There were so many. One tip that, that came up while we were writing the book, which we then shared, was um, a friend of ours was talking to a farmer at a market and they wanted to buy a bunch of beautiful baby spinach. And they said, yeah, you know, I always let the spinach go bad in my fridge. And the farmer said, oh, here's what I do. You just, as soon as you get the spinach home, as long as you're not going to eat it in a salad, just put it right in the freezer. Then you have frozen baby spinach. Oh, no. And you can take out a handful for your smoothie, for your soup, for your curry, for your eggs, and don't even let it go in the fridge. That's the danger zone, right, for baby spinach. And so that was one of the tips that, that I always remember whenever I bring that giant box of baby spinach home with me. You started in the restaurant business with your two siblings. Where's everyone now? My sister now lives in Scotland, and she's focused on writing, um, so cookbooks, and then she's also working on a novel. And my brother has a wine bar and a, a bar catering business based out of West Newton. So we're all still food adjacent, um, but in many ways, Maymay has evolved beyond all three of us. 
what do you think your grandparents would say to see their three grandchildren in the restaurant business? I mean, I think they'd be horrified at first. <laughs> um, you know, I think that um, if they let me explain myself, I could make them proud. And I think that, you know, one thing I say to prospective entrepreneurs, people who are saying, oh, I love to cook, I'm thinking about starting a restaurant, is um, only do it if you must. <laughs> um, if, you can, if you can figure out anything else to do, do that instead. Why do you say that? Because it's such a hard business. And because there's no way to know before you're doing it what kind of, of challenges there are. Mm. Um, but I think there was something inside each of us that had to do it. We just had to see. Um, and so I, I think my grandparents who lived through so much, who helped so many people, I think that that they would appreciate that sense of adventure and that we've brought our values and our principles to these enterprises. I mean, you also, I feel like have modernized um, Chinese cooking and I mean, you've, you've, how do you describe it? You, you, you find a way to, it, because it's, I recognize these as dumplings, but there's a modern twist. Like, so how would you describe what you, what you've done to Chinese food, I guess? <laughs> well, we've called our food a lot of different things. Um, creative Chinese American food. Um, sometimes they call it Chinese food with cheese <laughs> because there's a lot of cheese in our food. Um, and in a lot of ways, we, you know, we know that it's not traditional. No one needs to tell us that, even though some people on Yelp have very helpfully informed us um, that it's not traditional Chinese cooking. But to me, I think we try to create food that we feel is authentic to us, um, not to the country our grandparents came from, um, not to represent any, you know, group of people, just to represent us. Um, three Chinese American kids who grew up in New England, who love to eat everything. And to bring that kind of enthusiasm to the food. And for so many people, they come in the door and they say, oh, I've never had that before. And we say, yeah, because I think because we invented it. Um, and it's not pork fried rice and it's not egg rolls, but if you want to try it, we think you'll really like it. And so we're really inviting people to step into our experience, into our story, into our family. It's not a taste of China or a taste of, you know, some, some place far afield. It's a taste of who we are. I love it. I think my kids will, I, as I've told you, uh, one kid loves Chinese food, one kid hates it, except for dumplings. So I think he's going to love your cheeseburger dumplings. Amazing. So, uh, Irene Lee is the co-founder of May May Dumplings. She is a dumpling master uh, and also a pillar of the Boston food community. Xinglianguaila, uh, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Xinglianguaila! It's Year of the Dragon, um, and Irene, I'm so glad you are on our Chinese New Year episode of Say More. Thanks so much for having me. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer with help from Scott Hellman. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Uzair Ahmed. Our music is from APM Music. If you like the show, please follow us and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at saymore@globe.com. If you want to see photos of our scrumptious dumplings, check out our Instagram at Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening. This 
this is. You're proud of this one? I'm proud yeah. of this one. I'm proud of this one. Look at this. The luckiest dumpling. The luckiest dumpling. The lucky dumpling. Yeah. <laughs> the lucky dumpling.